And I'll contrast that with the first time I presented to the psychology uh, group, the state psychology group. It was the same day that um, Desert Storm started. I have this luck, you know. And I was so obsessing that I didn't notice that there was any news or anything. So I come and there's two people, three people in the room. And I'm thinking, um, have I, didn't I shower? Did I, you know, what did I do wrong? And then uh, in a minute, again, you'll understand what that flashed for me. But I thought, well, you know, at least they're going to record it. Psychologists like to get tapes and listen back. So I'm going to pretend there's more than three people in the room. Now, those three people, one was a friend of mine that drove down with me. The second one was a girl that was starting a care group down in San Diego. And she had brought a friend so they could see Dr. Hinman. Very impressive. Three people in the audience, right? It was one of the most wonderful, meaningful talks I've ever given. Because I realized if there's only one, it's worth it. But this is wonderful. <laughs> I, I choose this over the one or two. Tonight's talk is going to be on coping with strong feelings in our recovery. Anger, resentment, depression, anxiety, fill in the blank. It's important to understand the definitions. John was talking about the importance of definitions in his talk as well. I am going to be coming from a position of a pragmatic, relational Christian. Pragmatic because even if it weren't true, it still works. And I believe it's true. But I never sweat whether it's true or not. Because pragmatically, it works. God's plan is amazing psychology. And that's what we need to understand. So this is about spirituality, not religion. They go together wonderfully. CR is a great example. I think Big Valley is a great example. Other churches that have that ability to have what I call messy sanctification. It's what recovery is, messy sanctification. And what really breaks my heart is when some people say, you know, I don't know about those people in recovery. I mean, how often, how long do you have to go to those groups? How, how long do you have to work on this stuff before you're done? The answer is, well, how, how long are you going to go to church? Well, that's different. It is. No, it's not. Jesus was messy. He was amazingly transparent. And he's my big brother, BBJ. And I knew him as a guy before I ever realized he was king of king and lord of lords. If you want to know more about the difference between spirituality and religion, there's um, on YouTube, if you write in the search bar and you put in James and then a space, Henman PhD is one word. James Henman PhD. If you put a Henman and then a space, it goes somewhere else. It's a digital world, drives me nuts. I'm 67, I'm analog. I'm pure analog. God is pure analog. He's not digital. You can't break him into parts. Jesus, you can't break into parts. And I'm not sure if I can find the parts to even break me into something. So we'll just, where's my book? Is it back there? Yeah, could you? Um, so if you look that up, there are six 15-minute chapters. Put on your hip boots. It's deep, deep spirituality. Thanks, Les. Deep spirituality. The title is Willing to be a Fool for God. The secret to effective Christianity is willing to be a fool for God. Now, what does that mean? I may think I know what he's wanting me to do, because it says in his owner's manual. 
but do I really understand? Is it him? Is it me? Is it lunch? You never know. You can't know with certainty if God's actually speaking through you or if you think he's speaking through you. There's a place in me over the years that I found that he seems, I can, when I listen to this particular place, I'm pretty sure it's him. It never contradicts scripture. It is always a lantern, which I'll go into in a little bit. There's no double standards. And there's a third one, which I just forgot. But it's important. So watch the YouTube, and because it's in there too. <laughs> that wasn't a, a trick, but it, 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 it is. Um, the power of definition. I want you to take out that little identity card that, that you've been passing around. If you don't have it, look on with someone else. To show you how much I love you guys, as a dyslexic, to read out loud is like walking on broken glass barefooted. But that's how much I love you. Who am I at my core? I believe that who I am at my core is a deeply loved child of God. And I choose to be becoming his ambassador, imperfectly reflecting his nature and style as I practice living consciously and purposefully in the present moment with my lantern of grace shining inside and out, allowing him through me to maximize my healthy power for good. That's one sentence. That's my Paul sentence. And I'm not wanting to rush it, but I can't wait to talk to Paul and say, hey, Paul, what do you think about this one? Because you know how Paul writes really deep, complex sentences. Wisdom cannot be conveyed by Hemingway. Choppy sentences. You need to take the pieces of wisdom, let them interact to get the fullness of what wisdom is going to convey. So this is my Paul sentence. Now the other side. This is the side most Christians choke on. I am not my successes or my failures. Who I am is becoming in God. How I feel and how well I'm doing at any given moment, in any given time, is just that. How I feel or do. Nothing defines my core self except becoming in Him. My big brother Jesus draws me lovingly toward him, toward my becoming, toward true health. Emotional physics 101. When you feel driven, there will be an equal and opposite resistance. The law kills because the law drives. Now that's God saying the law kills in Romans. Okay? It's not Jim, it's God. Because the harder you try to please God on your own steam, the more you fall into the trap of Cain, who wanted to please God too, in the offering in the garden. Look, God, what I, it doesn't really say it. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a literary license here, but I really believe it's true. Look, God, see what I just did to add to you? See these different things as a farmer that I've grown from my own effort to add to you, God? That seems like a pretty worshipful thing, doesn't it? Seems pretty good. Except God says, hmm, sorry, Cain. I can't accept that. Now, Abel, the shepherd, came and brought the first fats. Isn't it so funny? Here we're trying so hard not to have any fats in our diet. And what does Abel bring to God? Fats. <laughs> Who knew? Okay, who knew? But Abel was simply saying, I'm giving back to you what you've given to me. Hear the difference. It's an important distinction. Cain was thinking, if I add to God, my thought is, then he'll have to like me. He'll have to accept me. And like John was saying in the other talk, God's not codependent. God doesn't have to do anything. He chooses to love us. Skid marks, guns your breath, sweat. He chooses. He doesn't have to. This talk on anger, anxiety, depression, resentment, 
When I was four, I wanted to die. I felt such shame, I wanted to die. And I didn't, but I wanted to. When I was six, I had guilt at feeling inadequate, flunking out of elementary school. The lowest spelling group, lowest reading group. At the time, I'm 67, at that time, they were called stupid or unmotivated. Now they call them dyslexic and ADD. Somehow it's nicer to have a, sounds like a better label, okay? But at the time, and they knew I wasn't trying, uh, not trying, because I would try. Jimmy tries so hard, we need to hold him back, because he's drowning. And then I get moved on another year. Got a C average in high school. Went to JC, started getting Bs. Went to San Jose State, started getting A's. I grew into my paws like Beethoven the St. Bernard. But if I had believed the fact that the world experience had taught me, I would have stopped. I would have stopped probably before I got out of high school. I was too stupid to stop. I wrestled for four years. I won one match in four years. And I was never pinned. Any of you know about wrestling? I'm not, not slam wrestling, but real wrestling. The team that pins gets more points. The coach would actually send me up a weight class as a sacrificial offering if there was somebody that was like a regional champ or a state champ because they knew I wouldn't get pinned. I wouldn't give up. It caused me tremendous pain and has given me tremendous blessing. I was so afraid of my feelings by the time I was in high school. I gave them up for Lent. Easter never came. I was a Vulcan. Star Trek, Spock, live long and prosper. I was so cut off from my feelings, I had no clue. When John was talking about you know, people pleasers and whatever you want, that was my wife. 43 years ago when we were first married, she'd say, you want to go to the show? Sure. What do you want to see? I don't know. I never noticed what I wanted. I had no clue. It wasn't even people pleasing. It was not knowing. I'd never thought about it. I'd never thought about it. Really realize that. If we don't think about something, we don't have choice about it, okay? By this time, I also have a 10-year-old in me. I have a four-year-old in me, a four-year-old Jimmy, wetting his pants in elementary school, being threatened to have to wear a diaper if he did it again. Six-year-old Jimmy that was smart enough to realize he was the dummy of the class. And 10-year-old Jimmy, or the anger part, that was very squeamish. And his dad decided that since somebody had put toothpaste, a gob of toothpaste in the sink, and there's a, you know how that happens sometimes, gets off your brush. And he said, whose is it? <laughs> My brother and I <laughs> went like this. It was him, you know. It was decided that it was me. And my dad says, all right, you eat that toothpaste or get out of this house. I'm 10 years old, 10 years old. Now, I could no more eat that toothpaste than fly. My brother and sister both knew if they'd lick something and offer it to me, they knew I wouldn't take it. I couldn't eat the toothpaste. So I go to bed that night thinking, hmm, how am I going to get a job? How am I going to support myself? Now, in truth, the next day my dad wasn't mad. I wasn't kicked out of the house. But within the next six months, I became the youngest Modesto B carrier in the history of the Modesto B. And I've worked from that time to today continuously. The difference is I love what I do now. Let me tell you what I do. I get to let God love people through me. 
Okay? That's the reason it's so important to be a fool for God. Because if it's not God, I'm going to look like an idiot. You know? I'm getting into something and I'm sure it's him. Come to find, no, uh-uh. This, this young lady here, you know, tears are streaming down her face. And I'm thinking she's sad. And she says, no, my contacts are killing me. Okay? That's pretty foolish, isn't it? Okay? So, <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. So, what I'm trying to get at is feelings are feelings. They're not who we are. I now am more like Captain Kirk than Spock. I have plenty of feelings. I can let her rip. I can have a meltdown. It's never really at someone. But when I'm feeling inadequate and 10-year-old Jimmy is sort of grabbing the wheel, I can get real intense. And I love him. Even in his meltdown, I love him. How many of you struggle with some kind of emotion that causes you to feel such shame from those emotions that you want to get rid of that part of you? Okay. In other words, the rest of you were letting the other ones take the lead. Because I doubt if there's one person in this room that that doesn't fit for. It's called normal. In a fallen world, it's called normal. Once you realize that it's normal, then you don't have to be ashamed of it. Instead of getting rid of 10-year-old Jimmy, or 4-year-old Jimmy, or 6-year-old Jimmy, and I'm not talking multiple personalities. I'm not talking pathology. I'm talking about the best choice I had at 4 was to want to die. Because the idea of wearing diapers to school was worse than death. Okay? It's all context. Feelings make sense. The filters that create those feelings, not so much. When you try to change a feeling directly, you create a problem. You make it worse. Kind of like driving instead of drawing. But it doesn't make it worse to begin to look in a non-judgmental way at what is creating and feeding that feeling. The perceptual filters, just like glasses. I, there was a time I never had to wear glasses except a little bit bigger print. Now I, <laughs> I can't even see you without them. So I, I have to wear them all the time. They filter so that I'm able to see more accurately. God wants us to use his eyes to see through. At the beginning of the Caring Grace group, there's a, there's a prayer they say at the beginning of the group. God, let me see myself and others through your eyes and to respond to what I see through your nature. Through your eyes, Lord. Through your nature, Lord. That gives you the cleanest filter to see most accurately. When John, in his talk, was talking about grace and truth. That's absolutely true. Truth without grace cannot be received deeply. The more important the person, the more true it is. If it's somebody you don't know and care about, eh, doesn't matter as much. But truth without grace cannot be received deeply. Grace without truth is superficial niceness. My big brother Jesus is not superficial. He's not phony. He doesn't wear a mask. He's got a great sense of humor or he wouldn't pick me as one of his ambassadors. I'm here not because I have it together, but because he loves me enough that I was willing to face this room even if it was empty tonight. Now, six-year-old Jimmy was pretty sure no one would show up because 
for him, none of the kids would play with him. You know, he was a people pleaser. You know, I'll be anything. I'm a chameleon. And it still didn't work. Ten-year-old Jimmy was not only mad because of the toothpaste, but because people would come and, and talk to him about problems, but then they wouldn't want to play with him. You, you won't actually act like you know me, right? Help me with this problem, but, but don't, don't look like you know me. Made him mad. This honest anger that he was feeling and no permission to release it. I want you all to put your hands out like this. Make the fists as tight as possible. I want you to think of this as your anger, your fear, whatever emotion is your favorite unwanted emotion. As tight as you can. Tighter, tighter. And I want you to do that for 10 years. What's going on? Don't you want to change? Is this resistance? No, you can't do it. Now, feel the tension that was there. Constipation leads to either explosive diarrhea, issues of anger, or the sense of doldrums and emptiness, which is depression. You can't go through life with constipation and not have one of those two be a prominent part of your day-to-day -day experience. Mm -hmm. And when you put it in Tupperware, now I talk in metaphor. The reason is because being just, I can't pronounce the psychological stuff. No. So I can, you know, common language. And you know, somebody else did that a, a while back, uh, 2,000 years ago. He talked in metaphor. He talked in word pictures. They called them parables, but that's a metaphor. Metaphor is the best possible vehicle to convey complex wisdom in a way that creates a visceral relational experience. Intellectual plus five bucks gets you a cup of coffee. I, I've worked for 43 years as a therapist. I've never seen intellectual change transform. I've never seen rules transform. Organizations, rules, conform. They don't transform, they conform. It's not the same. It's not the same. Nuggets are bite-sized chunks of wisdom. And so they've, in a given metaphor, there'll be one or two nuggets of deep meaning about the nature of God, the nature of the process of healthy change, and that is what allows you to experience it enough that you're able to then have a different narrative, talk to yourself in a different way. I'd like to convey, this is from the bus book, Thomas Merton. And um, in case you haven't already noticed, there is no outline. I'm what you call right brain, that John was talking about. My wife is left brain. I call her my recovering RN. She's a family therapist too, but to be a nurse, you have to be really organized. And she was good at being organized. 43 years, she still hasn't gotten me housebroken. But keep trying, and we have fun at it. We have fun at it, but this is I hope I won't cry, but if I do, too bad. Um, it's from Thomas Merton, and it calls Prayer of Trust and Confidence. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I, I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. That's my rock. Because that statement is a description of my spirits. I don't know. You know? I don't know. In my own life, in the client's life, 
you're the expert on you, and you don't know. I'm the expert on me, and I don't know. But someone does, and that's God. And he knows you so deeply, so accurately, with grace, that you can afford to feel good about noticing He protects me, particularly if it's being recorded, to keep my language appropriate. Even if you have your head where it shouldn't be, where you're sitting, he still simply says, would you like me to help you extract it? Would you like me to help you kind of clean off a little bit? Could you use a hug? That's my big brother, Jesus. And when I see people that make him look like, it really frosts my cookies. Because that is a stumbling block. When people say, well, you know, there's two reasons I really can't be a Christian. One, I don't want to be a, a hypocritical phony. And I can't be good enough. And I'll say, well, I got the second one covered. I can't be good enough. And I haven't mastered being a hypocrite. So I just leak out all over the place. What you see is what you get. And that is a miracle that only came after he became my Lord. After he became not only my big brother as a guy, that was in high school, but as King of King and Lord of Lords, but, and, and those are all true. But he came in human form for a reason, so that we could see and model somebody that we could identify with. You can't identify with Christ. You can't identify with God, because they're outside of time. Jesus came inside of time suffered, laughed, partied, was goofy, never sinned, but was so real that tax collectors and prostitutes felt comfortable with him. To me, the sign of a good follower of Jesus, which is what Christian means, a follower of Jesus, is that people who society looks down on feel comfortable with you because there's no need to judge them because there's no reason to judge them because you ain't got it together either we're all becoming now what I did it was so funny when they were talking about the different speakers for breakout um, Scott was saying to, to Les well all the speakers have their computers and their their things I'm old school the handout will at least help you refresh. You won't be able to follow it because it's not an outline in the traditional sense, but it's all in there. So it kind of gives you a journey into ADD-hood, okay? But the thing that I want you to get about feelings is that they're not a fact. They're a feeling. As a Vulcan, I gave up feelings, pretended they weren't there. But that didn't work. It didn't work. Other people worship feelings as if they are real. They're real feelings, but they're not true. They're not true. Please hear that. There's some seats if anybody wants them. If you all leave, then I'm going to cry. Um, but within feelings, there's another whole dimension right at the bottom of page one, and that is second order feelings. So if I am coming up to you and I'm kind of gruff and you feel upset because you did nothing to earn it, you were being nice, you were being kind, and I'm being gruff, because you're nice, you're not wanting to say anything. Then inside, 
you start to feel afraid about feeling angry about being nice. The feeling is added to the other original feeling. I may be feeling sad about feeling hurt. I may feel scared about feeling happy. Think about that. There's a lot of people that when they start to feel hope, they get scared. Because as long as I don't have any up-close hope, I'm okay. Hope from a distance keeps us going. Hope up close is a potential landmine. What if it blows up? What if I'm destroyed with this hope? So we have feelings about our feelings. We have feelings about our observations. We have feelings about our relationships. And those second order feelings are often much more powerful than the original ones. And because they tend to be more automatic, even when a person begins to learn how to use what I'm going to explain in a minute, the lantern versus the flashlight, to be more healthy in noticing their feelings, that's primary feeling usually. The second order feelings are so reflexive that you don't tend to even realize you're doing it. Suddenly, you're feeling scared and you think, this makes no sense, until you realize that you just realized how important this person was to you. And then you had a flashback to the fact that you were left by your mom, your dad, because they were drunk, because they were bipolar with no uh, medical intervention, they were whatever. And you were feeling that little girl, that little boy vulnerability and then you get upset with yourself mm -hmm. for feeling it. So now you're upset that you felt vulnerable about feeling, valuing, and love. Take a deep breath. Hang with me for a minute and just feel what it's like to experience what I'm saying. It's all here. You can take it home with you. Don't think about it. Let yourself actually experience experiencing what you're hearing. Think about your life. What patterns do you see? To me, it's all about light source. The light source. The law, Moses, was a flashlight. Our society is a flashlight. It's a judgmental light. I can shine it on you, I can shine it on me, but it only sees one direction. And if I shine it on your face, I can't see your foot. It's a judgmental light. It sees what's missing, it sees what's wrong. And it's polarized. It's polarized, which means it only lets in what builds a case. When you talk about problems like with anger, any of you been in a significant relationship and in that relationship had a conflict and in that conflict you were certain you were right and that made you feel righteous indignation and then you find out you're wrong? In 43 years of marriage I've had that experience many times, many times. And sometimes Sonia's wrong, not as often, but, but the fact mm -hmm. is, if I'm looking with a flashlight, I can't see that Sonia's wrong. I'm so busy building my case and massaging the anger, and then the anger is bringing more anger, and then I'm angry that I'm angry, until finally, boom! And then I have an anger issue. Huh? So would you if you were constipated. <laughs> huh? If you haven't had it, don't try it. The flashlight is absolutely necessary to have a really good anger, rage type anger. You, you need to have a flashlight because otherwise things are going to be coming in that distort distract you from your point, 
which is that it's your problem. Okay? So, what I want you to do is imagine something. If I'm shining a flashlight at you, oh, you're shining at me. Yeah. See, it's her fault. Right? Hey, they like you better. <laughs> She's shining a flashlight at me. This is Sonia. It's not really, but for right now. And she's coming at me with a judgmental light. The natural reflex is like, you know, if you're going to be in a gunfight, what do you do? You get a gun. You know, okay, corral, you get a gun. You don't go to a gunfight without a gun. So we're having a fight. I better get a gun. I better get a flashlight. And I start looking at you to see what's wrong with you to counterbalance you looking at me trying to see what's wrong with me. That's called the OK Corral. Okay? It's fine for Wyatt Earp, but it sucks as a way of life. Okay? It really does. Here's the secret that God wants us to know. Your flashlight to me becomes neutralized by my lantern of grace and valuing that I'm shining inside and out. Think of a Coleman lantern. See this person in the back that was greeting you, Les Coleman. Think of her as a lantern. Coleman lantern, okay? It shines 360 degrees. A lantern does. There's no double standards with a lantern. The light quality as a Christian is the Holy Spirit, is the solar-powered lantern. That lantern, because it's shining in and out with loving, nurturing grace, detoxifies the flashlight that's coming at me. John was talking about boundaries, and I, I absolutely agree with everything he said. I just say it differently. To me, boundaries equate to mutual respect. Now, if we were to each write down your definition of mutual respect, here's what it would probably look like. Okay. I'm going to respect you. You're going to respect me. We're going to have mutual respect, right? How many think that would be a good definition? Okay. That's not God's definition. God's definition, I believe, is I choose to treat you respectfully, I choose to treat me respectfully, and if you're choosing to treat me respectfully too, it's going to look like you normally think of. On the other hand, if you're being a real jerk and being abusive and hurtful, my being respectful to you comes in the form, now really hear this, of protecting you from hurting me. I say this countless times in sessions. It's very hard for people to hear it the first several times because we're so used to, I need to protect myself from being hurt by you. That's the normal, societal, fallen world perspective. Now, what do you have to do to keep, to make sure that I'm protecting myself from being hurt by you. I need to be on guard, which means I have to feel the bad feelings all the time because I don't know when I'm going to need them. So if it's anger that protects me, if it's being a chameleon that protects me, I have to be that in order to stay awake on guard duty and make sure that I'm protecting myself from being hurt by you. Instead, by protecting you from hurting me, I can do it in a loving way. That doesn't always feel like the kind of gushy love that we think of in Hallmark cards, but I can feel loving towards Sonia even when I'm protecting her from bruising me. I don't mean physically, but anyway, that's, that's a separate issue. If you can get behind the idea of protecting others from hurting you, you've made tremendous progress 
whether it be anxiety, depression, resentment, insecurity, the major favorite feelings that we hate are hard to sustain if we are nurturing ourselves every step of the way. Not only is my big brother Jesus give me a big carpenter's hug, he, he didn't have power tools, guys. He has a strong grip, and that arm is around me right now. He's giving the talk. If he's doing a good job, let him know. If he's not, <laughs> let him know. <laughs> he is continually treating me in a loving, nurturing way. I treat me in a very loving, nurturing way. I often say to my clients, if you knew, and this is absolutely true, if you knew how much I nurture me for stupid little things, quote unquote, I'm, I'm a PhD, I did the therapy, uh, you know, all this stuff, I should be beyond feeling good about uh, having been straightforward on something. It should come naturally. So why should I feel good about that? Why? Because I have a big appetite. And I want to have more of that behavior. If you want to have a behavior, you need to reinforce it. If you want to reinforce it, you need to nurture it. It's How many of you, when you listen to yourselves, talk to yourselves, actually are conscious of what jerks you're being towards yourselves? I mean, you wouldn't take that off someone else. But when you're talking to yourself, it doesn't count. No one else is hearing it. That's what creates the anger. That's what creates the resentment. You're hungry. God made us with a huge appetite for loving acceptance unconditional loving acceptance. He made us to have that appetite. However, when, as that little video said, we, we, we were unfaithful, which means that we chose to eat from the, the knowledge of good and evil, and once we had the knowledge of good and evil, without God's loving grace, the flashlight was born. Now that's the new, new international Translation. You won't find it in American Standard, but it, but it says, and with the fall came the flashlight. <laughs> and if you think about it, it's true. The first psychotic experience was Adam and Eve hiding behind a bush, thinking God wouldn't see them. <laughs> Hell dog is not going to do it. It's going to take a major, major, major dose of a major tranquilizer to deal with that kind of psychotic thinking. And they were with God all day long. And they still were that distorted once they had the knowledge of good and evil. We all have it. We all have it. It's what feeds anxiety. If you think of it, again, sorry for, the, for these kinds of metaphors, but they will stick with you. <laughs> My mom, she's 92, like from Benton, Kansas, population 200, little Baptist girl, you know, wouldn't say a you know what I mean? She's very proper. She's, you didn't say that, did you? Yeah. <laughs> Shocker all the time. Just lost my place. Oh, okay. If you think of pushing down, compressing all your feelings because you're trying to disown them, so you push them down, you put them in Tupperware. Think of the pressure on the lid. How many of you have opened the refrigerator when something's been in the back of the refrigerator too long and it's spoiled? You open the refrigerator, <laughs> you want to gag. Well, that's what it feels like when year after year you're stuffing, stuffing, stuffing parts of yourself and the compression is, is pushing the lid. The push on the lid is the anxiety. It's that fear. It's all going to come out. 
Content may be whatever it is, but the actual dynamic is the compression of disowned parts of ourselves and the fear that the lid's going to pop off and we're going to actually say and do what we think but don't want anyone to know. Anxiety. Resentment. You can't really have a good resentment without expectations. Expectations are what create resentment and bitterness. My dad had a horrible life. His story is in the um, uh, is in that is in the Fool for God video on YouTube. Horrible life. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't resentful. He'd be sitting there, you know how the old water troughs in Nebraska. Him and his dad would live under a water trough, and they'd have potato soup, which is potatoes cut up in water. I said, well, gee, Dad, what'd you think? He said, well, I wish I had more. But he didn't feel entitled to more. Our society is destroying us from the inside out with the sense that we have a right. We have a right. It's my right. Now, don't you give me any of your rights, buddy. It's my right to have rights. It's not your right to have rights which is what? A double standard, which means it's coming from the flashlight. Okay. If you want to have depression, here's how you do it. You take those unacceptable parts of yourself, you scoop them up like a melon scoop, you know, like in a, okay. you put them in Tupperware, you get the lid on, you put it in the pantry, you close the door, lath and plaster, that's what old school I am, huh? And, and you get it to where and there's bricks on top of that. And yet, guess what's left? The holes. The holes. The holes are the depression. When you're feeling depression, it's, there's physiologic depression too. But I'm, I'm, I'm talking about psychological depression at this point. The absence of Jim, because I have taken me and put me away to hide me from everyone, to keep me out of harm's way, whatever, what's left is the vacuum. And the vacuum is the depression. Now here's the thing, guys. Feelings are verbs. Not nouns. Excuse me, I have depression. I have anxiety. But it's like I am that. I am that label. And it becomes self-fulfilling. And once it's a noun, it stays stationary. That's why you can feel anxiety for years and years, depression for years and years, because it's not fluid. Sadness, Jesus felt. Sadness is fluid. Depression is static. It's the emptiness where you've been scooped up and put in Tupperware and put away so that you could be acceptable to the outside world. Now here's what happens with that. And I'm really trying to, anytime you have a question, I'm just so, jazz right now. I'm just, I could talk all night, so that's not a threat. That's a, that's a promise. Um, let's, take, let's take a minute. Any questions, any thoughts? Because I, I think it's really important that this be interactive. Yes. You have to speak up because I have hearing aids. Are there any questions? <laughs> I guess it depends what you mean by irreversible. They continue to make improvements on medications that counterbalance the physiologic effects. Some of the different coping mechanisms can help allow as much normalizing as possible. Um, but it's, it's above my pay grade to answer that question. Um, I don't think anything is hopeless, if that's what you're asking. And I've, I've, I've worked with uh, 
schizophrenics that have a very good life. I would bipolar people that have very good lives. But they work at it, just like people that are dealing with uh, uh, sobriety uh, from chemicals or uh, struggling with any other issue. If you don't work at it, if you don't practice at it, you're not going to get better at it. And you can get better no matter where you're starting. Loud, yell at me. Well, certain medical issues can create a symptom of depression. Certain chemical imbalances are highly associated with depression. Lower ser uh, serotonin is one. And that was proof to psychiatrists that it is a medical problem. But here's the problem. How did the serotonin get so low? Cortisol, the stress hormone, interferes with the production of serotonin. So if you're in Auschwitz month after month after year in a stressful, horrible kind of situation, the cortisol production is probably going to lower the, the neurotransmitters and therefore you're more susceptible to physiological depression. By reverse it. Yeah, there's, you know one of the better ones? Running, and I don't mean running away. I mean physical, good physical exercise where you flush the system is, is, is good. There's medications that can be very helpful that give you enough oomph and momentum that you can then kind of continue, the, but you gotta nurture yourself into it. If you drive yourself into it, there's an equal and opposite resistance. Okay? These, these are really good questions. They're just hard. <laughs> Is there a difference between standards and expectations? Because I struggle mm -hmm. with that. So say mm -hmm. my standards are that, and I consider it a matter of respect. So mm -hmm. for example, I've asked you to wipe your feet before you come in the house. Mm -hmm. Now, am I your husband or, okay, I, I, don't, I don't mean your husband. <laughs> Woo, I phrased that wrong. Uh, I wasn't sure if. I really struggle because he's an mm -hmm. unbeliever, and so I'm mm -hmm. trying to be a Christian and trying to have boundaries. Now, now, when you say you're trying to be a Christian, trying to have boundaries, do you mean you let the Holy Spirit through you deal with him? Okay, but when you surrender it to the Lord, those things to the Lord, what do you replace them with? Constipation? That's not a good trade. Right, okay. I thought maybe you were a plant from Sonia. Um, like I say, we were the odd couple, literally. Oscar and Felix, I was the slob, she was the organized one. Another on the, in the anyway. There's things that she's wanted me to do for a long, long time. I'm much better at a lot of them, and my batting average will never be as good as hers. <laughs> and the problem is, if there's only one standard, either you've met it or you haven't. I'm dead meat. Okay, so it's progress. It's nurturing for small steps. I respond to positive. So when I accidentally do something right, and Sonia says, wow, I really appreciate that. I'm gonna do it again. <laughs> but if I do something by accident, and she goes, why not? She wouldn't do it that way, but, but you know what I mean. That's how it feels. And I tune it out. It's a non-event. I'm not gonna be changing that. Not because I don't want to, I've tuned it out. We tune out that which is obnoxious to us. Okay? And there's nothing more obnoxious than being told what a jerk you are. Particularly if it's true. Particularly if it's true. Okay? So, what I'm trying, yeah. No, no, sorry. 
E2 Brutus. <laughs> that is a really, uh, okay, first of all, and it's kind of a little bit like what John was talking about in terms of the advice givers. If you, if you start by trying to get them to, you already have built-in resistance. Teenagers, Sonia works with teenagers. I don't, I don't do teenagers. I don't do teenagers. Uh, I, I don't. I, I honestly don't. She does. She loves them. But she, she would never tell them what to do. She'd come alongside and sort of do a little bit of a Columbo. She, I wonder what would happen if. How's that working for you? And having a discussion is much more apt to be gotten through to because face it, you don't know anything. I was never as stupid as when either of my sons were in junior high. You're never a prophet at home. You're never a prophet at home. Just know that. So what you do, instead of trying to get them to be different, start by appreciating where they're starting. God's plan is always starting where you're starting. Jump in the well. You get messy. Thank you. That's exactly what I'm saying. And f Actually, one even you're closer, but if I could, it's to say, I'm going to see you through Jesus' eyes, through God's eyes right now. I already see you as being wonderful. Now, you're telling me you're having these problems at school, that the kids are treating you a certain way, or it's, you're looking for a job and you always go with, you know, your pants down to your middle of your butt, and you know, I wonder huh, if that may have something to do with it. Curiosity is harder to defend. Curiosity and confusion are powerful tools. Very powerful tools. It's easy for me because I'm always confused. Which is a wonderful thing because if I'm confused, it means I'm in uncharted territory, which means I'm learning and growing. So give me confusion any day. But it's also a useful tool in helping people be able to solve their own problems by you sort of helping support the process. We don't need to be fixed. Yeah. I had a question. Sure. Can you expound on, because um, I'm always trying to protect myself with my husband. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of an interesting way you said mm -hmm. how I'm going to protect you. Sure. So let, let me use the, uh, do this to answer that. Have, you, have any of you heard of the martial art of Aikido? Okay. It is a martial art that is only good at protecting someone from hurting you. It, it sucks as an offensive uh, uh, martial art. Uh, uh, even though you called it Kung Fu, the, uh, the old Kung Fu show really kind of reflects Aikido. When you come at me, if you're my husband, and I'm you, and you come at me with five units of energy, I'm not going to add to it, I'm not going to absorb from it, you'll have a five-unit fall. Did I hurt you? No. I protected you from hurting me. Come at me with 50 units. I'm not going to add to it. I'm not going to absorb from it. There'll be a 50-unit fall. It is loving to be real. I wore masks into depression that was lethal. I mean, literally suicidal at a time in my past, in adolescence, with masks. You may have noticed I don't wear a mask anymore, nor am I depressed, <laughs> nor am I anxious. Okay? So when you, are, when you see your husband doing something that is hurtful, be confused. Excuse me now, are, is this your idea of foreplay? <laughs> Do you really think this kind of thing is going to get me all uh, excited? Because right now I can't stand you, <laughs> personally, which is true at that moment. That's more apt to work than keeping a mask on. And it's also respectful to him as well. The lantern is respectful 
to me and you. So are you saying to be honest with your... Grace-filled honesty. Respect. There's no room in relationships for brutal honesty. And I'll tell you right now, Christians can be some of the most brutal, honest people I know. They eat their young. <laughs> Legalistic. Legalistically. So what I'm saying is grace-filled honesty, disarming transparency. Wow, you know, did, did it take you quite a while to come up with saying something that cruel to me? Or did it come spontaneously? No, not you. I'm, I'm, I'm being you. <laughs> and she's in shock. I can't say that to my husband. <laughs> but actually, why not? What does it cost you? What does it cost you? Excuse me. So does if he's being a jerk. And there's no double standards. Now, you can disappear or you can be real. Now, if he's just clobbered you, then you're probably going to have a little harshness in your voice. <gasps> Even if you're a Christian? Yep. Yeah. We got to stop. I promised Scott that, that I would stop on time. But after, once the clock stops, I'll be happy to answer more questions. But I want to prove to him I can actually, he didn't think I could do it. <laughs> he was almost right. <laughs> you guys were great. Give yourselves a hand.